live. Kasa live. Look at that. So I think, I think I figured it out, Alex. I was still on Wi-Fi. So I turned my Wi-Fi off. My computer's hardwired. I don't know why I was on Wi-Fi. This last like iOS, whatever Mac update thing just did wonky things with my computer. But hopefully, hopefully we're not. All, I still have an unstable connection thing yeah. up at the top of my screen. So hello. Welcome, everybody, to Gasa Live. I may be like only partially live. Uh, we don't you're, know. You're- you're just a little glitchy. It's not. I'm just a little glitchy today. Yeah, it's, it's not like Saturday. you're dropping off or anything like that. It's just. It's just yeah. a little glitchy. Well, it's been a long week. I expect to be a little glitchy today. That's okay. We all have our glitchy days, I suppose. But, anyways, uh, welcome everyone. We we were not live last week. Last week, uh, a few of us had family things and stuff going on, so we weren't live. Uh, but we're here this week. Alex and I are. Kristen, I believe, still has some family things or something going on this weekend. So Kristen will not be joining us, but thank you all out there uh, in chat for joining us today. Alex, hey, how are you? Hey, uh, doing all right. I, uh, I've, I've had a couple of minor accomplishments on a Saturday. Ooh. Uh, at least one life goal. I, uh, I, uh, I managed to take a picture of our dog going to the bathroom and send it to my wife and nice and uh and then i made some uh diy soap scum remover Ooh, not not sure how that's turned out yet we'll see after the broadcast but the poop photo was was definitely a a waiting waiting process yeah you you mix it you spray it you wait 15 minutes and then you scrub it and now i'm waiting for and then you rinse it and then i wait for things to dry to see whether or not i did anything oh very cool (laughs) i found a little uh i don't know diy way to remove blue oil-based enamel from your skin today uh yeah i don't know acne wash like acne shower wash works pretty well for anybody out there if you happen to have your hands covered in oil-based blue enamel and you can't get it off with anything else because it's oil-based enamel and then you happen to have acne wash in your shower it does okay it works pretty good my hands were completely blue earlier i still have a little but got some blue knuckles there i do i have like it's like in the cracks of my skin where i can't like the deep cracks of my skin is where i can't get the blue out but otherwise, I don't know. It worked pretty well. It's okay. Slideshow, sure Logan. I just, am I really that free? Am I like freeze framey? Is it that bad? It's, I don't know. I, Wonky I mean... cracks. <sighs> I'm trying here, you guys. I'm trying. I'm sorry. Okay. I upgraded my internet, but I haven't upgraded my computer. We're getting there. We're getting there. Anyways. Yeah. I mean, my week was. That was my week. It was just long and kind of chilly and wet and gross. That's what it's been here in Western New York. It's just like gray, wet, gross. Well, we had some really nice fall days here. It's cold. I'm up up here in the North Country. Yeah, uh, yeah. But uh, today is particularly uh, gray and gloomy, which is fine. You know, Halloween weekend. Uh, it's not supposed to be bright, sunny, and whatever. Um, when I was a kid, man, it was always like at least a foot of snow right now 
like growing, like being, being, but a wee lad, I could only wear like my mask for my, there was no point in getting an entire costume for Halloween when I was a kid, because it was just like blue snowsuit, whatever mask you wanted to wear. And that was, that was Halloween, you know, like, I can't tell you how many times I went as red power ranger with blue snowsuit, you know, (laughs) at least three times as a kid, but nice. Yeah. Anyways, I guess we can get right into it because we do have some legislation to discuss. Yes. Are you ready? Yeah. Yeah. We we can hit that. All right. Let's do the thing. All right, Alex. Legislative rundown. What do we need to know right now? What is happening? What do we need to keep our eyes and ears on? Uh, So a lot of updates, a couple of new slash pending things. Um, first I will, uh, navigate to what we have going on nationally. And that is the excessive federal tax on safer nicotine and tobacco products. Um, uh, this is, we've, we've heard on, I think from multiple sources that this is out of the build back better. That's three B's, um, uh, stuff. Uh, whatever it is, the infrastructure bill, social something, all the things. Um, so it's it's out of of that, um, but might be put back in. So there's still some uncertainty as to the final language uh, in all of this, and um, so uh, still encouraging people if you have not taken action already, even if you have, um, perhaps send another email. Uh, yeah, you could you can do this call to action as many times as you want. Yeah, I don't recommend like incessantly sending the same email over and over again. Um, but uh, certainly, uh, you know, telling different parts of your story, maybe getting your friends and family involved. Uh, the more people, the better, the more variety in people's uh, stories about how vaping has helped them is also very good and very helpful. Um, and so uh, there is still a need to to get communication to your lawmakers and urge them to keep this out. Um, we saw another kind of uh, uh, push by the usual suspects to um, you know rally their their troops and and pressure Congress to put this in. So uh, any extra effort here helps. Um, and you know, we've driven a lot of, a lot of communications to, to Congress over this, but we can always use more. Uh, the work is by no means finished. Um, so that the vape tax is still kind of back on the table. Uh, and again, this is just one of those things like, I don't, nobody cares what anybody says until the bill is written. And we've had a chance to read it and see that, uh, the tax is out. Uh, I can't, I don't exactly remember kind of the, the timeline here. Uh, but because there was, I think, a vote that failed in the House uh, recently, uh, everything is still kind of open to being amended or changed or whatever. So uh, we're not done with the the federal tax um, just yet. Um, so the next thing here is going to be uh, Denver, Colorado, I believe. Uh, I updated this recently. Um Let's see. Let's let me let me try to remember what I did. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, uh, Colorado, uh, this may need another update. Uh, There was a hearing this week uh, and um, 
uh, we'll see. I, I've, I've heard decent things out of Denver, but um, I'll, I'll, I owe everyone an update there. So I'll, I'll get that fixed. Um, but we had that happen this week. So it may still be necessary if you live in Denver, Colorado to reach out, uh, look for an update uh, early next week. Um, Washington County, Oregon. Um, oh, wait, I didn't even do the whole fancy screen share thing. There we go. Yeah, you got to um, show the clicky map, Alex. Yeah. <laughs> well, you get it for Washington County, Oregon, because that has been updated. Uh, and so for podcast listeners, should I narrate the clicky map? As Alex scrolls to the upper <laughs> left-hand <laughs> corner of the map. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so uh, there is a public hearing on the amended ordinance in Washington County, and this hearing is on November 2nd. Uh, it, if some of the some of you may remember, this originally started as requiring uh, vapor products only be sold in adult-only establishments, uh, and that quickly morphed, uh, as it was suspected, into a just an all-out flavor ban. Uh, and so that's why they have, I believe this would be a, a second or third hearing for this uh, because of the change. Uh, and that hearing is on Tuesday, November 2nd. So that's this coming Tuesday. Uh, if you live in Washington County, Oregon, we've set this up so that you are communicating with your county commissioner. Uh, also, there is an at-large commissioner which receives messages from everyone. Uh, so uh, please send your emails to your county commissioner and urge them to reject this ordinance. Um, Washington County, Oregon, November 2nd. Get on it. Uh, and thank you for those who have participated. Um, the next order of business here. Uh, I don't have any more uh, calls to action up at the moment for these things. Uh, but we are looking at a potential flavor ban in Portland, Maine. Uh, one of the things that was included in our blog post this week, oops, that's the wrong. Uh, now I, I'm narrating me clicking through the website because you can't see it on here anyway. Um, one of the things that we included in our blog post this week was a flavor ban that was passed in Bangor, Maine. Uh, this is something that kind of slipped through the cracks. Not, I think that they're uh, even, you know, the national organizations, lobbyists, this snuck up on people. So we didn't catch this either. Um, and this was uh, this was passed. Uh, and this uh, takes effect on June 1st, 2022. Uh, I haven't read the ordinance, but with people like the American Cancer Society tweeting about it, I'm sure that this just sort of indiscriminately bans flavors with no regard to the substantive scientific review that FDA is mandated to do. Um, and we'll talk about that later. But yeah, uh, and all cigarettes as well. Yeah, good, good job, Banger Maine, to ignore science and all the all the things. Um, but Portland, Maine, is is going to be the next stop in Maine for uh, this proposal, uh, and uh, looking to see um, whether or not a, a call to action will be helpful from our side. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Uh, but if you live in Portland, Maine, be on the lookout. Uh, regardless of whether or not we put something out, this is happening, and uh, it is likely to receive a public hearing on November 9th. Um, so I'm, I'm looking to get something out early next week for Portland, Maine. If not, if you live in Portland, Maine, just know that this is happening. Uh, there's nothing on the agenda just yet. Uh, so we're you know, following that to see when that is posted. 
we'll get that information out as soon as possible. Um, the other things I have on here are still Michigan waiting to see what happens with legislation uh, there. I uh, haven't heard anything. It's the end of the legislative session for them. So uh, the, the, the prevailing thoughts on this are that we won't see anything by the end of the year, but certainly 2022 is just right around the corner. It's October. It, I mean, we're, it's Halloween uh, already. Yeah. yeah. Um, which actually I'm just really been- bummed that spooky season is almost over. I I'm I live in this time. to me I, I I am at the same time remarking how all of a sudden it's Halloween but at the same time it feels like it's been five years since the beginning of the year so I, I don't know where oh I yeah am yeah on the timeline just the, I mean the past two years I've thrown my sense of time out the window like this is Halloween 2019 right <laughs> like just, I'm, I'm still not, trying to figure out whether or not 2019 actually happened. Yeah. And like, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day about how as you get older, the years seem to go by quicker and, and quicker. You know, when I, you know, when you're real little, a year is a lifetime, you know, and as you get older, they go by faster and faster. But like COVID and these past two years has just like sped that process up. <laughs> like it's just I was ready for them to go by quicker, but I wasn't ready for them to go by that fast. Like I'm, I'm still recovering from the end of 2019. I don't know if I'll ever recover. That's okay. Is that it for, uh, for legislation? Yeah, that's pretty much it. That's pretty Uh, much it. Yeah. I'm I'm sure not a, not a comprehensive list of everything out there, but uh, you know, we're doing what we can. Also, there's a few other things uh, noted in, in the blog post. So if you're listening to this on the podcast, um, check out things going on in Fairfax, California. Uh, Florida is looking at um, some uh, a law banning is it vaping or smoking outdoors. Um, and uh, let's see, we got Denver, Colorado. Some good a good article there on filter uh, banger. We just talked about. Uh, I believe that would be it for the kind of local stuff that we're picking up on. Yeah. So uh, you can double check with the blog post and see some other issues happening, perhaps in your neighborhood. Awesome. And that is why Kristen puts so much work into those blogs. So that way everybody has uh, all that information readily available. And then uh, as well, we link to the blog in both all the video descriptions for this, except for Twitter. Um, but on, on Facebook, on YouTube, the links are all there and on SoundCloud and the respective plethora of places that the, the feed link goes to as well. I, I believe we're on Apple, Google, and, uh, and a few other, few other ones as well. And you should be able to find the blog post there or, or otherwise you can just go to kasa.org. Hello, click blog. It's right there. You guys, it's all right there. All right. Oh, what do we got? Skip flavor ban in Mankato, Minnesota is on the radar. No details yet. Yeah. Okay. So we'll keep an eye on that too. Thank you, Skip, as always you, for Skip. the heads up. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Alex, are you, uh, are you ready to do a take two? two. Yeah. Two.
What I need to do, I'm going to hit up Danielle, or maybe I could probably just do this on my own, because Danielle does a wonderful job on all the graphics and all of the, the media stuff for Casa. Thank you, Danielle. But I need to get one that has like a line through it, and it's like a two written in, or like one with like a four for if we have a guest on for like all the different. There we go. We'll do take twos, take fours. We could have a whole panel. We could do like a take 12 <laughs> with it. Can we get 12 people on here? I don't know. We can try. <laughs> Welcome to Casa Chaos Live. Yeah, there you go. 12 person panel. It's just silliness. Uh, Alex, do you wanna you wanna you wanna start this out? You want me to start this out? Um I I can go. We'll go okay. alphabetically. Go. Sure. So you beat um, me in both. First name and last name. You beat me alphabetically. What's your middle initial? It's my first. Well, I go by Alex. So that's my middle. My Alexander is my middle name. Oh, not, I don't, I'm not going to ask you your first name then, I guess. <laughs> it's Steven. Oh, <laughs> my initials are dumb. They spell sack. Oh, <laughs> no, that's still fun, right? <laughs> I do beat you then first name wise because L does come before yeah. S. There you go. I just wanted to win at something today, okay? Okay, That's you all win. Got. All right, you can take it away. It's your totally turn. Totally win. I'll order up your trophy. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, no, my... That's uh, all I need, just a small just a small gold medal, something I can put on a nice gold chain. That's all I need. Okay, sorry, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the order, the issue at hand. Um <laughs> So yeah, uh, my take for the week is um, science, what I'm calling science by court order. Um, and there isn't really any one article to talk about here. There isn't really one event to, to speak of. It's it's sort of a, a combination of everything from uh, the AAP versus FDA, that's the American Academy of Pediatrics, um, or pediatricians, uh, whatever they want to be called. Um, they should just stop, probably. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and and all of and, and these rescission orders that were were uh, or, or the FDA rescissions of uh, MDOs, uh, marketing denial orders um, that are are coming through, and I, I guess we can expect more. Um, because of what FDA is doing here. Um, and this is, I mean, this is really kind of part of the deep dive. So I don't want to get too far into this, but um, I, I think, you know, one of the things that I, I, I do have in my notes here is this article from Alex Norsha. Um, actually, do I have it? Yeah. So uh, this is, uh, this is the second e-cigarette, e-liquid company that is receiving uh, a, a rescission from FDA. Uh, and I, I will expose my ignorance here and say I kind of looked for some sort of document about this rescission, um, which is, you know, FDA going back on their their MDA, MDO. Um, but uh, was that you? Oh, yeah, that was you. Um, was it me? So, a gurgling sound. I was like, "Is my is that a leak? Is something on fire?" <laughs> um, so, uh, uh, yeah, you know, this is the second uh, the second rescission coming from FDA uh, of an, of a marketing denial order. The first being Turning Point Brands, 
which you know made a lot of waves because uh, Turning Point Brands' response, or as part of their uh, motion for a stay, uh, was all about uh, pointing out that FDA overlooked studies that that were you know clinical trials, and they do have some longitudinal data in there apparently, uh, and. Um, this is sort of indicative of FDA not doing a, a thorough review as they are mandated um, by the Tobacco Control Act uh, and uh, just, you know, giving short, short shrift to applications and simply wholesale denying people um, or denying manufacturers. Um, and so Fumizer is another company that is basically making the same uh, allegation and uh, and it, it is now backed up with FDA uh, issuing this this rescission of the, the marketing denial order, meaning that they can still um, uh, market their products. And then we have another one with Triton, um, uh, which makes a lot of kind of not really like I don't know if you could call them old school e-liquids, but I think like Suicide Bunnies in there. Uh, I think Telios or Telos um, and Hold on. I have to spoil my dog with a ridiculous treat right now or else he's going to start. Oh, is this the, the bacon wrapped bone? Yeah. Did I, did I put that on, on camera last, last time, time or uh, a few weeks ago, a few weeks ago, the pup got a bacon wrapped bone. Yeah. So, you know, how, how spoiled is, is our dog? This oh, is just, yeah, that's just the delicacy. treat. That's yeah. just, that's a pre-dinner treat. So I have to, I have to, I have to lead him into another room. Otherwise, the gnawing is going to be really annoying. Oh yeah, we we can't have we. I mean, we could have me as a slideshow and freeze framing the other the whole time, but we, we can't have gnawing on a Casa live. Okay, thanks for filling the empty void there. I apologize. Yeah, I just I just talked about <laughs> gnawing. <laughs> He's happy. I was considering giving some auditory examples for people of what gnawing may sound like, but I decided to go. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so anyway, um, it, it, you know, it, the, 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 you know, my take is, 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 is really like, this is what you get. This is what you get for pressuring a regulator to ignore the science, pressuring a regulator to defy their mandate. Uh, and, uh, you know, setting these arbitrary deadlines, which is exactly what the American Academy of Pediatrics was doing, was demanding that FDA enforce the original 2018 PMTA deadline, uh, and which is it's, it's just an arbitrary line in the sand. There's no evidence to support giving the industry only two years to come up with uh, massive applications that require, uh, you know, studies that, that, that take multiple years to complete. Um, you know, I, I think I've said this before, you know, talking to a manufacturer shortly after the deeming rule was finalized, uh, they, they knew that some of these studies would take three years to complete. And yet the deadline is only two years away. Uh, not only was yeah, the, so deadline, the, the original deadline was, was 2018. Right. Right. And then Gottlieb pushed that all the way up to 2022. Mm hmm. So we, we right now we would still be looking at being you know a year away from these these PMTAs being due, and then backpedaled that a year to 2021, and then we saw this court um, decision right that bumped us into April of 2020. I don't remember FDA. Did, did, did they did they move it back to 21? I thought it was yeah. There was a, there was a weird like right before Gottlieb left. 
for okay. no real apparent reason, we went from 2022 to them being due in 2021. He moved the timeline up a year. I, I and assume the the court case moved us to April of 2020. And then due to COVID, due to all those things, we we were granted uh, or the industry, I guess, not necessarily we, but the industry was granted until September. Yeah, something like that. I need Jim, <laughs> but I think that's how the timeline goes. Jim knows this timeline like the back of his hand, but I believe that's. Yeah, that's that's. That's that's the the that's the and that's one of the biggest things is like you know every all these companies were like okay well we know we need to do this but when is it due FDA keeps you know shifting things around yeah I mean the theme throughout this is the the ever changing deadlines the goalposts that were moved as far as what was required none of this by the way is based on science or data there's nothing informing FDA saying that, you know, this is the amount of time it's going to take. And I think, you know, the original moving the deadline to 2022 is FDA kind of weighing what they're capable of doing. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and part of what FDA is capable of doing is gradually figuring out what this PMTA process is going to look like and being able to offer uh, manufacturers useful guidance in how to you know, put together a robust application that, F- I mean, it's in FDA's own interest to be a- as open about this as possible so that they're not wasting their time reviewing applications that aren't gonna go anywhere. So right. you know, sort of front load all of this with, <clears throat> with useful information so manufacturers can submit robust applications. And the other thing that was going on was FDA having these compliance deadlines uh, which involve some of it involved testing, some of it involved meeting, you know, marketing restrictions, uh, all all of these things that that manufacturers were doing, in hopes of eventually getting to a point where you know now you've complied with all of these things. Which also those deadlines, I think, sort of thinned the herd. There were plenty of people and plenty of manufacturers out there who were not serious about this. There, you know, there absolutely were manufacturers who were just kind of fly by night. You know, they're in it for a couple of years and then they get out. They made their money and now they're done. Uh, but for all of the rest of the people who are in this for all of the right reasons, and, and some people were, were excluded from the process simply because they couldn't afford to go forward, uh, which is something that everyone has been sort of warning about for you since, you know, before 2014. Um, you know, it, this, I think, was designed to bring the industry along into the regulatory process and set them up so that they would be able to submit applications that FDA would be able to seriously review. Now, that's that's my like Pollyanna take on everything, um, and and I, I hope that was you know eventually going, that, I hope that was the goal that by 2022 everybody would be in a position to submit robust applications, and and we would have more than you know the views solo on the market which we, we still have more than the views solo on the market. And we will continue to have more than the views solo on the market. Just, you know, the legal, legal depends on the market that you're shopping in. Exactly. Um, So, uh, uh, you know, but essentially what happened was these uh, uh, ostensible, ostensibly uh, data informed organizations like campaign for tobacco for kids, truth initiative, cancer, heart and lung, and the American Academy of the people who take care of your kids uh, demanded an arbitrary deadline be enforced without science, without evidence, 
simply driven by ideology and fear. Uh, and so this is what you get when you do science by court order. The court has more influence over the process than the science-based regulatory agency who is now derelict in their duty. Um, that's my take. <laughs> that's quite the take. And I think, I mean, that's, I don't, I don't think, I know uh, we're obviously going to expand on a lot of that once we get into the deep dive as well. So, yeah, it's what you get. Mic drop. Okay. I wish you would have done a mic drop. Just like, that's what you get. I can't. Oh. I, I would ruin everything. Yeah, please don't drop your mic. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So my take this week, we are going to hop skip across the pond. We are going to head over to England, our friends in the UK. Uh, this is from CNN World. England could prescribe e-cigarettes on National Health Service. So if you've been living under a rock, the UK and the NHS, they do have universal health care there. And this is kind of where uh, this is this is what we're talking about. Yeah, sorry. My brain just like sizzled and died there for a second. But I'm back. All right. Uh, E-cigarettes could be prescribed in England's National Health Service under plans to cut smoking rates in the country. Uh, I'm not going to read through this whole article. This is the idea. Oh, my cat found a toy. You guys, I'm so sorry. <laughs> hang on. Hang on. No, that's okay. Your cat can be in the shot. That's how you win at the internet these days, right? Oh, he's still going to play. I just shot him into the other room. Oh, okay. He found the wall as well. Um, so the idea here is the UK opening up the gates to allow manufacturers to apply, uh, to approach, to apply with the MHRA, which is uh, the UK's Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency. This is essentially the UK's FDA. Um, so they would be applying through a process that is somewhat, I don't know, similar to a PMTA, um, but but more, I guess more similar to, to a drug, yeah, I guess, a, really. Probably more like their, their drug medical route. Yeah, whatever their, their medical pathway is. Um, would be what this would be going through. Um, my understanding is this doesn't change the consumer commercial side of e-cigarettes in the UK, that there would still be vape shops. There would still, this is not like uh, a prescription only model. This is basically the UK being able to, if a company, a manufacturer gets through this process and their product is approved, then through the NHS, they would be able to actually prescribe that e-cigarette or those e-cigarettes if there are more than one uh two people through through people going to see the doctor to quit smoking um this would be really beneficial for people who can't afford to go to a vape shop and go buy a vape kit and start out with something and go through that whole process as we all know that first initial startup cost of vaping uh can be a bit steeper than just continuing on to vape so some people are deterred by that they can't afford that they, they can't kind of get through that opening gate to get an e-cigarette to get going this would be able to put those products into people's hands right through their physician so this is i think this is a really good thing um i do want to expand a little bit in this article here though robert west professor of health Psychology at the Department of Behavioral, Behavioral Science and Health at University College London said that the regulatory hurdles 
um, to be overcome for a product to be licensed are huge. And he was not confident that e-cigarette manufacturers, independent of the tobacco industry, will have the resources to overcome them. Quote, smokers can already get e-cigarettes from some stop smoking services, and this could move uh, and this move could expand access to e-cigarettes. This could very, very easily lead, <clears throat> excuse me, to a situation where tobacco company e-cigarettes with limited effectiveness can be prescribed, while much better ones cannot. In my view, no healthcare provider should pre prescribe an e-cigarette produced by a tobacco company. So I disagree uh, in that, and because there's there's kind of some contradiction here, right? Like uh, there's the acknowledgement that uh, there are regulatory hurdles to be overcome um, and that most of the independent industry will, will not be able to afford that or be able to overcome that process. Uh, while at the same time, uh, in his view, no healthcare provider should provide or prescribe an e-cigarette produced by a tobacco company. And I think this is kind of where a lot of these folks, you know, in, in tobacco control have been doing this for a really, really long time, still get stuck in that war on incumbent tobacco companies kind of taking precedence over over people um so if if the independent industry cannot afford to overcome these hurdles but yet we don't want an e-cigarette produced by companies that can afford to overcome these hurdles what's left you know the same products that are already there uh and having no e-cigarettes available through this through this model um in my view, I would love to see the independent industry, you know, make waves getting through this process. So that way, people who smoke in the UK, who go to their doctor, who maybe are uh, less inclined to go to a vape shop, maybe they're not, they're not, you know, secure about that. They want something from a doctor, from their physician. Uh, those people would have access to uh, a myriad of products that they can choose from that are going to work for them. I would love to see the independent industry get through that. But if the independent industry cannot, and the only folks who can get through that are tobacco companies, just because uh, just because they come from an incumbent tobacco company doesn't doesn't make their product less safe or less effective or whatever it may be. And if they can get through, don't people still deserve that option, regardless of it coming from a tobacco company? I guess that's my 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 question here is is like is this is this just kind of like one of those like war on tobacco companies kind of things you know like we don't want them to to be the ones to get through but yet we're not confident that anyone else will so I don't know I get a little lost here with with Professor Robert West <laughs> as to what 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 he's getting at you know yeah. I, I can't um, I can't speak to Professor West's uh, motivations here, but it, you know it sounds like from some of the comments we have some some UK friends in the, in the chat um, that that Professor West is. Uh, uh, let me let me see if I can if I can grab it here. Um, I got to scroll up. I'm we're, sc we're scrolling we're scrolling we're scrolling. I swear I saw it. Okay, here we go. This is from Pippa's live. He's pro-vaping with super anti-big tobacco companies, which is counterproductive in my opinion. I think, you know, we tend to agree with that. Um, and in fact, you know, as, as some people have commented, actually some of the best and most reliable science about tobacco products is coming from tobacco companies. 
Um, it's it's not coming from you know people who we're supposed to be able to trust with this. People uh, in 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 public health and and in science, uh, uh, there is clearly a, a bias against tobacco companies. Uh, and and I agree that it is it's not it's not the productive way forward. Um, and yeah, you know this this whole issue of of resources. Tobacco companies are the ones who have the resources to get through these onerous application process. I don't know what the process is like in the UK. Um, I, I know that you know we've already seen at least you know uh, it, it wasn't it was the Vogue. I think it was, it's not an e-cigarette, but it's a nicotine product. Or actually, I don't even think it. I don't know if it. Contain is, that the, is that the fancy straw that comes in the cigarette pack? It's, it's something like that. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, you know, so in, anyway, uh, you know, it seems it actually seems more likely that uh, a company will be able to get through the MHRA's process. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think it, it doesn't matter at this point if uh, if it's coming from an incumbent tobacco company or an independent vapor retailer. It's more likely that tobacco companies will be able to navigate the process. And, you know, honestly, I, I feel like sort of an alternate view on this as to like what role tobacco companies should play is that they absolutely should participate in fixing the problem that they help to create. Yeah, um, and, and so if that means, even if that, you know, look, this is all business. I don't care whether you're coming at it from the perspective of protect public health or not. You know, look, if you, take a look at what some of these people make it's money they're making money that's how this works it's how everything works if you do a job and you're compensated for your time you're compensated your skill is recognized by an employer you're making money and you know you don't take a vow of poverty when you join the public health establishment you don't take a vow of poverty when you you work for a nonprofit you get paid so everybody's making money off of this uh, it, if you have a moral dilemma about uh, the people who are responsible for misleading the public about the harms of smoking, making money off of this, fine, I get that. But I think in order to serve the public good, people are going to have to confront those hangups and perhaps look at a different way forward. And I suggest that it is uh, that tobacco companies absolutely have a responsibility to fix this problem. Uh, and, yeah, and, you know, it's, it's sort of, you know, it's just a, it's a it's a consequence that they're going to make it just as as a consequence of doing business, you kind of have to make money. If there was no money to be made in this, then nobody would be making these products. That's kind of how it works. Nobody's making, first of all, you know, nobody's, nobody's out there finding the cure for cancer thinking that they're going to give it away for free. That's, that's not how it works. And people aren't funding the cure because there's no money in it. Um, so, um, but yeah, you know, that I, I had another thought in there and I, I kind of lost it getting all ranty about this. Um, anyway, <laughs> I think um, I think, you know, like you and I have talked in the past and I, I can't remember if this was a discussion we had like a real long time ago prior to Kristen being here or not. She very well may have been there for that one, but we had discussed um uh, a prescription vape model here in this country. And one of the key points that you and I both made was that's great. It just can't be the only thing. Uh, because again, there are a lot of people who I think would really prefer to get a product like this or, or any kind of smoking uh, cessation product, whatever that may be. They want to hear their doctor say, yes, use this thing or have their doctor prescribe it to them. There's a level of security that people are going to take in that um and and 
more they're more likely to use the product than just kind of walking into a a vape shop and and Joe behind the counter says, "Yeah, use this." You know, uh, they they feel much better about it coming from a from a doctor from their physician. So I think at least in the UK, I mean, I would love to see this here as well. Obviously, like we would love to see a product approved through this kind of pathway for those who are uneasy about these products or are unsure who need that that assurance from from their from their physician. I think those are the people who are definitely going to benefit the most. Uh, and again, people who can't afford these products through through, uh, you know, going to a vape shop or ordering online or, or whatever uh, means they have. If, if they can afford these products, this would put that in their hands. It just can't be the only model. Right. It can't be. We can't have just these aren't these aren't medicines. These are these are consumer nicotine products. These are alternatives. Um, they can't just be just be a medicine because then we we stifle the entire thing that makes all of this work so well yeah you know it's it's sort of interesting to um you know make to to make the comment about a potentially ineffective product manufactured by a tobacco yeah company yeah i noticed when, that too. you know at least <clears throat> you know I, I can't speak to people's experience in the uk but here in the united states the products that are manufactured by pharmaceutical companies are by comparison ineffective. Um, you know, I used nicotine yeah. gum for three years and the only nicotine concentrations I could find were two and four milligram. Now, arguably the four milligram is enough. Uh, when I first started vaping, um, I, I still had to use the nicotine gum because the, the first generation Sigalike products that I was using, which by the way, is pretty much like what the FDA solo. just authorized okay. for, for market. <laughs> um, uh, were, were not effective. They, 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 it just wasn't enough for me. It was, it was still a proof of concept and I still, but I still needed some backup. Um, so, uh, you know, I would be more concerned about what you just described as what we are opposed to, which is just a, a medicine only kind of product, uh, that comes in, uh, probably some, you know, not that appealing mint flavor or no flavor at all. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, probably has some fruit uh, chill. Oh, okay. I, <laughs> I, I would imagine, you know, if it's going to be a, a medicines product, uh, you know, you'd be on the lookout for things like, uh, you know, uh, only being able to operate it by, you know, using like some sort of bio biometric uh, lock in order to yeah. use a, a puff count. Like you can only have so many puffs a day. Like that's a completely wrong approach. But that's that's some those are things that I would expect from for example, a pharmaceutical company going through the, the pathway. They want these tightly co tightly controlled metered doses of nicotine. Um, Something similar to, uh, what is that? What is that one? Hail? Yeah, hail? I don't know any, I, I, that, that is a product. I, I don't know where it is in terms it's of- supposed to step but. down your nicotine while you use it for you. So like when you get it, like as you use it, the dosage goes down. It's supposed to wean you off for you. The hail knows what you need better than you do. <laughs> and so that's that's the concept behind that. And that would be something like you're talking about that's very like dose regulated, medicalized, you know, you need to stop. You should be done with nicotine by the time you're done with this product kind of thing. Weans you off for you as opposed to, you know, the consumer market that we have, at least in, in this or had 
in this country where you could walk into a vape shop and you could say, okay, well, yeah, I'd like to start with something a little higher and wean my way down, find what works for me to start, what my goals are, set my own timelines, my own goals moving forward, having that control, which is one of the things that makes this product work so well, is putting that control into the hands of the user and saying, you know, this isn't something you need to, you know, set an end date and set these, you know, arbitrary goals for when you have to quit. No, when you're ready, you, you do whatever your next plan is, what, what, what works for you. So, yeah. Anyways, that my, my take on that is, uh, I would, I would definitely, I definitely think that this is a good thing having something through prescription, uh, through the physicians, through NHS to get to people who either can't afford it or who are still too weary to walk into a vape shop and try these products. They need that reassurance from their, their care prov provider. Uh, those are excellent things as long as that's not the only model. Yeah. And I see no issue in uh, tobacco companies participating in this. I think the more products available to people through this, the better, the more tools in the toolbox, the better. Yeah, I agree. And I just, I kind of want to underscore, cause I, you know, I had a conversation with somebody who's actually kind of researching, how do we reach people um, with, uh, uh, you know, mood and, and mood and, and mental disorders. Uh, and, and these are typically people from, you know, lower income status. Uh, and, and so making a, 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 a product that is free or otherwise very low cost through the National Health Service, um, I, I think is is excellent. And it goes, it, it is part of sort of solving this problem of how do we make these products more affordable and accessible to people who need them the most, which as far as, you know, the data show that is people from, you know, low income status. Yes. Philip says, I sound like Mike, and it's scaring the hell out of his children. I don't Who's know who Mike? Mike is, but I apologize <laughs> to your children, Philip. <laughs> All That's right. It. That's the end of my take. Alex, I think it's time that we... Dive deep. We're diving deep. We're getting scuba gear on for this. We've got our tanks ready to go to the depths of this ocean. Not really, we're not gonna go swimming today. It's mighty cold here in New York, but we are gonna get into some things here. Alex kind of kind of put his toes in the water, so to speak here uh, with his take. So let's trudge forth, sir. So I figured we'd start with this, um, which is the uh, sort of, I think this is the latest, um, Motion, well, this is a motion for a stay, uh, and I, I, I can't put any legal expertise uh, to this because I don't have them. Um, but there are some really interesting nuggets in the, the court's opinion here. Uh, nuggets. I think I, I wanted to highlight. I don't, I don't know if nuggets does it justice. No, that's a beautiful word. These are. Just, I, I think these might be boulders. Uh, and so uh, this is this is definitely I'm picturing like little hidden chicken nuggets throughout the document. Like you get to page four and there's a there's a nugget just sitting I'm, there. I think more of like little gold nuggets, but uh, oh, that's way better. Than does nuggets. it for you? I'll definitely <laughs> I would definitely take gold nuggets over chicken nuggets. But yeah, um, 
so uh, anyway, uh, yeah. So Triton um, that has, uh, I guess they, they, I don't know how many PMTA applications they submit or for how many products they submitted, but um, you know there there are some recognizable liquids, I believe, manufactured by this company. Um, I think Boilermaker was one of them, Suicide Bunny, Telios, um, uh, and some others. Uh, I, I'm just throwing names out there. These are not endorsements by any stretch of the imagination, but some of, you know, the old school vapors might, might remember, um, some of these names. I, I don't know. Uh, it's been so long since I've been to a vaping convention. I, I just don't know what's out there anymore. I've um, never been to a vape convention. So you still, even with all that time <laughs> have, have more, uh, I don't know, credentials <laughs> here to speak to it. Um, so yeah, uh, this is this, these are really interesting um, opinions here from the court, and uh, it it pretty much lays out um, you know what the FDA did, I, and I, I will say um, I think this 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 opinion sort of answered a question that I had. You know, when we first started hearing about these wholesale denials from from manufacturers my initial instinct was, okay, like, I don't know how much truth there is to the claim that FDA is moving the goalposts. I'm sort of curious about what FDA's response is going to be all to all of this, because, you know, as far back as 2014, uh, and probably even earlier for some people, we knew that FDA regulation was going to be um, potentially this, this insurmountable hurdle because of the research that they would require and a, a lot of this whole like proving a negative thing, you have to prove that your product doesn't do something, um, which I think is impossible. Um, and, you know, Swedish Match got tripped up in this when, you know, they had to prove that it doesn't cause cancer. Um, you know, there are tons of things on the market that are totally, you know, acceptable by consumers and regulators, and there are still a risk of cancer involved. Um, if you, sure. you know, I went to buy a, a new pair of work gloves recently that had a that had like a a prop warning yeah prop like, is it the prop 65 yeah, yeah. like <laughs> like my work gloves can yeah. give me cancer okay yeah. it, it's it's ridiculous we live in a world where everything will kill you so yes. nothing will kill you um so yeah i so anyway you know my initial thought was that fda had probably already responded to this claim of mm. you know goalpost moving by maybe referencing the deeming rule or something like that. I, I, I don't believe that they actually did that, though. Uh, that was kind of what I was expecting. Uh, but that's not what happened, uh, because they did, in fact, move the goalposts, which I believe this opinion describes as the switcheroo doctrine, uh, which is from case law. Uh, and, uh, and so, yeah, or, or previous case, I, not a lawyer, I don't know how to talk about these things. Um, the only so anyway, word that anybody needed to know out of that statement was switcheroo. Switcheroo. <laughs> it's just switcheroo my doctrine. Um, <sighs> so, yeah, but the one thing that keeps jumping out at me uh, about Triton's application, Triton's case here, is the marketing plan that they put forward in their application. Now, I haven't seen their application. Uh, you know, probably nobody outside of Triton or an FDA is. is likely to get a look at this thing. It's usually, it's all a lot of, um, uh, you know, trade secret type stuff, whatever. You have to protect your brand and, and all your formulas and stuff like that. Um, so, 
anyway, but the, the marketing plan, as I understand it from Triton, the way that they presented it in their application and had FDA paid attention to this is that they are only doing business with retailers that have a, you know, adult only access type of policy. So you got to be 21 and up to go into a vape shop. Triton will sell their liquids to you. Uh, and that is, I think that, you know, these are things that, you know, like we saw in Washington County, Oregon, originally that ordinance started out as, oh, it's okay to sell flavored products as long as it's, it's adult only establishments. Uh, the same, I think, is true somewhat in uh, New York City, where flavored tobacco products can be sold for like on site consumption in adult only establishments. Um, I don't know if that's still the case, but at one point that was that was how it was. Uh, and so right there, you've sort of nipped this whole discussion about youth access in the bud. They aren't even allowed in the retail establishment. So uh, how are they getting these products? I mean, you can go down the line and say, well, adults are buying them for them and the flavors are so attractive and this and that. Okay, fine, whatever. Sure, that's not going to change. A, it's such a weak argument. I mean, that argument can be made about any product that's yeah. on the market right now regardless and and we i don't want to go down the what a biz what about ism road and, yeah. and talk about who regulates what but but yeah i mean what the the i the only people that you can like i don't know where i'm going with this thought but if the only people that can buy it are adults what the adult does with it from there and who they may sell it to that's already a that would already be illegal for them to do and that's kind of outside of like that whole the whole authority here, right? Like we're talking about establishments and, and distributors and things like you can't regulate what the adult who bought it does from there. Well, you, you can, but that's sort of the domain of, you know, whatever jurisdiction the shop right. is that's in. That's not, or, or, FDA, that's, you know, that's, 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 that's your city council. It's your state legislators. Sure. It's your yeah. county, whatever. And, and there are laws about that at the state and local levels. Uh, if you purchase a tobacco product or alcohol or in some places cannabis and then sell it to a minor, there are penalties for that. You're not allowed to do sure. that. And so, you know, that's that's not FDA's responsibility. That's, that's what I'm saying. Is it, 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 that's outside of 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 FDA's, you know, yeah. purview. That's that's not their problem and shouldn't be. That should be local law enforcement and and, yep. and, and you know, and, and, and people can have conversations about whether or not those types of, of laws are actually appropriate, or if that's more just right. sort of putting people in a bad situation, you know, whatever we, we, as a society have, uh, have accepted that we need age restrictions on certain products. And, and, you know, for the most part, that's fine. Uh, you know, we can continue to have this conversation about whether 21 is the appropriate age or if 18 or 16 or whatever, it, you know, we, we can continue having those conversations. Hopefully they are data driven, not by emotion and fear. But for the purposes of this discussion, uh, I, I think one of the things that was really interesting, and I dropped this in in, in Kassah's kind of main chat, was this statement. Um <coughs> The FDA claimed that its purported expertise and experience showed that no marketing plan would be sufficient. So it stopped looking at marketing plans. <laughs> it's just, Wait, it's just what? one of those things. Like, you know, it's, I, I, I don't know. I'm just going to try to make something up here, but it's sort of like you did, didn't you see the truck coming at you? 
from down the street. Like you didn't get out of the street in time and you got run over by the truck, not a, not a motorcycle, not somebody on a scooter. You got run over by a massive truck that people can see coming from a mile away. It's, it's just one of those things. It's so blatantly obvious. And it's surprising to me that I'm, I, I feel like one of the few people in the world seeing this, which means I'm probably wrong. I think if you're just doing like, you know, probabilities and all of that, like maybe I'm wrong about this. But this whole response from FDA to me seems to negate anybody's support of any tobacco control policy because there is no marketing plan that's acceptable. And it's here. Uh, similarly, we are not aware of access restrictions that to date have been successful in sufficiently decreasing the ability of youth to obtain and use ends. So then why did we do Tobacco 21 to begin with? Why, why are we uh, championing? Why are, why, are, why are people demanding extra taxes? Why are people demanding a, a, an infinite increase in federal tax on vapor products? Why are we why even are... discussing these products only being in adult-only establishments? Yeah. If that's not an effective access restriction. Why, why do we have place bans? Why, <laughs> why, why, why do we have tobacco control? Well, yeah, what's the point? Why did we go through the whole Make a Tobacco Control Act? It was all about access. It, it, at every point, it is about restricting access. So if none of that works, then why do we have a center for tobacco products? I mean, ultimately, is this FDA saying, hey, guys, look, as far as we can tell, we're not necessary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why are we here? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they're, they're requiring marketing plans and then turning around and saying, but by the way, none of them are sufficient. Yeah. So, oh, and all of these, all of these restrictions that, you know, we've been dealing with, none of them matter. <laughs> what a statement. <laughs> yeah. I, and this is, this is FDA's response. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, did, so anyway, I mean, this I, I, this leads me to believe that perhaps I'm just reading all of this wrong and it doesn't mean what I think it means. And uh, and I just need more expertise in order to understand all this stuff. But, you know, right now, this reads a lot like, um, well, this is this is this is tobacco control working themselves out of a job for sure. If nothing you do well, matters, sure. then, then what the hell are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, just remember is, that statement every time that, um, you know, a, a, an anti-tobacco nicotine organization comes out and talks about how effective Tobacco 21 is or how effective place bans are, or how effective this, that and the other thing. Well, FDA says none of that, <laughs> none of that matters. Yeah, those are all about access. Yeah. Yeah. So this this goes on to um, get in here and here we go. Here's our is our new favorite phrase. Um, surprise switcheroo mm. uh, talking about reliance. I think this is something that we we uh, we broached with um, with with Allison with Allie Vapes uh, when we had her on as a guest uh, that, you know, essentially, uh, you know, FDA by issuing this guidance final or draft or whatever, it doesn't matter. 
it, it, it creates a situation where the manufacturers become reliant on FDA for the guidance. They are relying on FDA for, you know, the helpful tips and tricks about producing a robust PMTA application. Uh, and when the agency, when the regulator at, 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 at some point just turns their guidance on its ear, uh, well, yeah, of course, everybody is, is surprised that they're not living, they're not, they're not honoring what all the guidance that they've provided before. They, they are relying on the agency to give them a clear picture of what's needed. And now they're changing their tune midstream. I can throw all the allegory and metaphor in there that you need. Um, so yeah, that was, that was something that we talked about uh, earlier that, um, you know, the, the companies um, are looking to FDA for substantive guidance. And while they thought they were getting it, they thought they were getting a clear picture from Good FDA. Lord, the industry was promised a, a streamlined pathway at one point. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I, I mean, I, that wasn't through FDA, but that's yeah. <laughs> it. when final guidance for these applications comes out after the due date for the applications themselves. It's kind of problematic, you know, it's like, hey, don't worry, we're going to give you these guidelines so that way you can submit your application as robustly as possible. I love that we're using the word robust so much today. Um, so that way we don't waste our time going through these applications and that way you don't have to, you know, resubmit that, that we, you know, that we're all on the same page here with what we want. We're going to give you a final guidance, but hey, we'll tell you a month after you have to submit it or however many days and however much time it was. It was something like a month. Um, yeah, that's problematic. That's kind of changing the rules or whatever you know, after the game is over, that's like saying, oh, no, I won because you didn't do this thing. Well, that wasn't in the rules before. Yeah, I just I just added it. It's in the rules now, you know. Yeah, I don't I think I, I for some, I have the word entrapment in my in mind. I, I don't I, think I don't that, I don't think entrapment's quite the right word, yeah. but I know what you're saying. It's like ensnaring, yeah. I guess, yeah. in, you know, in a way to to have all these applications come in. And then after the fact. Once, once they're submitted, once people have spent all this time and money in going through this process, now you say, oh, hey, also, by the way, you need these other things or whatever that we told you you, you weren't going to need before. Now you need them. It, yeah. It, and it, it's just like a de facto way of shutting everybody down. It's, it's, it's changing the rules after, after the game ends. So I, I think, you know, part of this and in, in to I'm really to, sorry about Frank, everybody. He's wild with that toy right now. Oh, I, I don't hear anything. Or OK, good. Anything, so. it's, it's, there's like a war going on in the other room between him and this little ball. Um, but, what you know, what I was I was going to get to here is, uh, you know, um, part of this part of the, the opinion here gets into uh and FDA has, they have to consider alternatives to issuing a, a marketing denial order. And I think, you know, part of what I think a lot of people expected, first of all, I, I think a lot of the independent manufacturers expected that their applications would be sort of 
uh, viewed as insufficient at the, you know, at the time. Yeah, they would get but, deficiency letters and. But right, exactly. Deficiency letters. And that to me sounds like that's the alternative that FDA is supposed to have. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't, it's not a denial order. It keeps you in the process and you can come back and, and amend your application with the information that FDA is looking for. This has right. happened. It happened with Swedish Match. It happened with uh, Altria. It's happening with uh, 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 Reynolds. Uh, and you can see this process playing out on FDA's website as they send uh, deficiency letters. The manufacturer responds with answers and additional information that the FDA is requesting. And so that was FDA's alternative. So... Hold on just a second. <laughs> they didn't do that. And this, quoting the decision here, reinforces that the order was likely arbitrary, capricious, or otherwise unlawful. Now. What? Now. Mic drop. So here's <laughs> what FDA, I, I, I believe it is in here, and I, 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 I want to find it because I, I don't, there's something I don't want to do. Um but FDA, I think, cites sort of this need for efficiency. I think it might be sort of before this. Um, but, you know, FDA is finding itself backed into a corner, right? They have this court order from 2019 that uh, forced FDA to move the deadline up to April or May uh, 2020. And so... FDA is now in this position because of this court order to efficiently approve, authorize, or deny marketing orders for these companies. In order to meet this deadline, which I think we can call arbitrary, capricious, or otherwise unlawful, FDA had to ignore or violate its mandate to substantively and scientifically review people's applications. Yeah. Uh, prior to the show, I told Alex that I had a, a rather thick tinfoil hat on because I feel like, eh, I don't know as though I, I, I really want to go down that road, but like it, it kind of feels like FDA knew this was going to happen. Right. And the only way to get back to going through what they should be doing is to break the law because of this arbitrary date that they were given through that lawsuit. And, and yeah, I think to some, you know, putting my own tinfoil tin foil hat, hat on. Time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> tinfoil hat uh, disclaimer. Um, yeah, I think I, I, I think I agree with that somewhat. And I, I think um, I, I believe there is a catalyst in here somewhere that led to FDA uh, making this sort of wholesale decision about banning flavors specifically. Um, and, and I don't know when that's going to be revealed, but I, I think there is a catalyst involved here. Uh, and uh, it's, it's something that we will all be able to point to and say, oh, that's, that's where FDA decided to break the law. Um, right. And so uh, but we'll, we'll see whether or not something like that actually we surfaces. Knew, we knew and, and FDA had said, and I don't know when uh, in, in the timeline of all things, but they did say that, you know, flavors would be, there would be a higher standard. There would be a, 
it would be a little bit harder to get flavors through, but ultimately not impossible that these products could very well make it through this process. And then all of a sudden we just start seeing blatant copy and paste denial orders for everything and anything that isn't a tobacco flavor. So you kind of go like, where, where along the lines did we go from, yes, it may be a little harder to get flavors other than tobacco through the process, but not impossible to copy and paste MDOs for everyone. Yeah. You know, where, where along that timeline, what happened in there? Um, I, I agree. I think there's, I think there's something that took place at FDA that ultimately decided that we're just going to use this blanket template and just deny everyone. But, you know, back to sort of the tinfoil hat thing that, that we both somewhat agree on is, um, you know, th this is sort of uh, predicated on the assumption that there are good people at FDA who are not happy with the court order to move up the deadline. Uh, and that, you know, sometimes the only way to do the right thing is to break a law. And, you know, bad laws are meant to be broken. That's that's a battle cry of, sure. of people on all sides of the political spectrum. Uh, and and so I think at some point there are people at FDA who, who probably they, they they were forced into making this decision. But to the larger point, it is that uh, this original court order for the, the what ended up being the September 9th deadline um, was itself. I don't know if you can say that that order is unlawful, but it's certainly not consistent with the Tobacco Control Act. Uh, it's, it's not consistent arbitrary. with FDA's mandate, and it is an arbitrary and capricious deadline. There's no evidence yeah. to suggest that FDA would be in a better position to authorize or deny product applications on in, in 2020 versus 2022. Even the 2022 deadline was sort of a best guess. Uh, you know, that yeah. was I, I think there I, I, I imagine I, I think somebody can probably confirm it that there there was a lot of industry input, uh, a lot of industry conversations with FDA solely for the purpose of, of kind of updating FDA on where everyone was at with with applications and compliance. Uh, and, you know, the, the 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 message all along was the industry needs more time, not just because you're dealing with a bunch of people who've never been through a regulatory process like this, uh, but because uh, the you know product-specific science, in particular, takes time to do. And so, sure. uh, you know, in 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 an effort to not send a bunch of people back to smoking, and the FDA clearly agreed with this, it is not in the best interest of public health to take all of these products off the market. Uh, and FDA argued this point in that original lawsuit. So. You know, not being a legal scholar or or anything like that, I I have questions about that original ruling in in 2019, um, and you know I looked at that and I thought, well, FDA fought for and retained their enforcement discretion on a case by case basis. Uh, if you're a a science based regulator, which FDA is supposed to be, then you can on a case by case basis allow all kinds of stuff to stay on the market because taking it off the market is not a benefit to public health. And so I, I, you know, in an, it's not really tinfoil hat. It's the, the Pollyanna view that I tend to take a lot of the time is that uh, was, was sort of crossing my fingers and hoping that FDA would allow a lot of manufacturers to keep selling while they did do 
the scientific review, which could take years. There's no guarantee. There's nothing in that court order, as far as I can tell, that actually holds FDA to the September 9th deadline. And as we discussed earlier, um, we know that isn't so because there are no consequences for FDA missing that deadline. Right. It's just uh, it's just arbitrary. Yeah. There, there's no other word for it. It's just do this by this date or else. Or else what? Or else what? Yeah, exactly. So FDA, obviously, I mean, we all know nothing happened on the 9th. Yeah. What? I don't, I don't <laughs> I mean, what, even. What consequences? I, I don't even think we got an updated uh, market MDO list. We got nothing on the 9th. I mean, it was it was a dry day. <laughs> it, there was nothing. And we all sat and waited and waited. And nothing. <laughs> I was like, this is the most boring September 9th ever. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I still, I, I hold my tinfoil hat on. I try not to put the tinfoil hat on too often, right? Like, there's there's a lot of times in this space where you can get real tinfoil hatty with a lot of things. And I, I try really hard not to. But this... It just feels like, like we talked about to get, sometimes you got to break the law. And that I feel like it's kind of what FDA did here was they acknowledged that they, there was no way they were going to get through these by that arbitrary deadline. And so in order to, to kind of get around that, you gotta, gotta break the law a little bit. Yeah. Or a lot of it. So here we are. And I, I, I feel like I'm just flunking a dead horse here, but, um, you know, we're not having a scientific, we're not having a science or data-driven conversation about authorizing these products. Uh, the FDA is doing in, in, in a very, very, very limited way, its scientific review of, uh, you know, the, the larger incumbent companies. Um, and so, um, you know, I, I think I, I don't I don't know how to hold the agency accountable. Um, I, to me, I, I feel like, you know, the, lawsuits, I guess. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> like, is there another way? Is that actually working? The answer I, is no, it's not working. Um, and, and as far as I can tell, you know, or just in my non-expert opinion, this decision on Triton should throw out the deadline. The reason we're in this mess is because of Judge Grimm's decision and because mm -hmm. of FDA's interpretation of that decision. So it's in violation of the Tobacco Control Act. That court order that the American Academy of People Who Take Care of Your Children brought <laughs> is arbitrary and capricious. It's not following the evidence. It's not holding right. FDA to any standard other than we want you to ban these things. Yeah. That's it's, not it's, science. It's nothing but a, a nothing but ideology and and a crusade to have these products banned. That's it. Has nothing I, to do I, with science, has nothing to do with, with public health or or what's appropriate for the protection of public health. It is it is nothing but a crusade against these products. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And as we're seeing, 
Uh, and, and, you know, I, I, I know, you know, a lot of the names that we see in the chat, I know that you guys have been around for years and, and you guys get this, but for anybody who's listening afterwards, you know, we have been, it seems at times shouting into the void, trying to alert people to the fact that when they don't get the response they want from FDA, they take it to lower levels of government. And so all of the flavor bans that we're seeing, all of the increase in taxes that we see, the place bans, all of the things that we see are Campaign for Tobacco Free Kids, Truth Initiative, American Cancer Society, American Lung Association, American Heart Association, Michael Bloomberg, and all of the rest. It is their effort to circumvent the scientific review that FDA is mandated by Congress to do. It's not in the hands. Congress didn't take on tobacco regulations for themselves because they're not a scientific body. Your state legislature is not a scientific body. Your city council is the farthest thing from a scientific body. So why are they making scientific decisions about regulating these products? Exactly. And we've talked about before uh, one of the, I guess, playbook uh, moves from these organizations is to get down to smaller government because that's where it's going. They're going to have the easiest time getting uh, their whatever passed, whatever their flavor ban, place bans, whatever that may be passed, and then create that patchwork within a state of different regulations, things going on. So they can go, look, look, it's all over the place. This is chaos. We created it. This is chaos. We now need a state law or something in place at the state level. And then that patchwork grows. And if you because when you can't get it all the way at the top, you got to go back down to the bottom and you build from there. And they know that. And that's that's the game plan. Counties, small cities, things like that. Build it up to the state level. Take it up to the top. And and I will say, you know, I, I, there are people, you know, we have uh, Kasa has, has promoted or, or, or sort of we, we've put out calls to action in support of preemption bills. Uh, and, and this is, you know, states preempting actions by local governments, specifically with regard to regulating vapor products. Uh, and I think in some cases, other tobacco products uh, and cigarettes. Um, and and I, I think at least one person, probably a couple more, and sort of written back to us saying, uh, no, I don't support this. Local governments need to be able to decide the rules, you know, that affect their citizens. And I will say to, to, to some extent, I, I do agree. I think in a lot of instances, you, you know, different geographic regions, different municipalities have different concerns, different issues, and they need the freedom to uh, enact policies that address their citizens' concerns and, and their citizens' needs. Uh, and in, in another aspect of this is that, uh, you know, state and local governments, but more so local governments are sort of incubators for policies that can be implemented on a larger scale. And, and so I, I don't want that to be taken away. But specific to tobacco and vapor products, we need uniformity. We need something across the country uh, that is in the benefit. It, it, uh, it, yeah, in the interest I would even of, of go consumer. as far as saying drug law in general, really. Um, yeah, I mean, look at cannabis. You yeah, know, we're not talking about infrastructure the, and roads and and things like that that are going to change geograph geographically from region to region and what those areas need to address for their citizens. 
uh, that's different than when we start talking about public health uh, on a large scale. I think those are those are two very different areas of concern. But and- I, I, I would say, you know, depending on where you live, you know, even some, you know, uh, uh, public health policies and, and health regulations may need to be tailored to your, your region, depending on things like, you know, pollution, do, do you live in an over, yeah. overly industrialized area? Yeah. Um, are there other factors that, that are affecting, you know, that particular region's, region's health? I, I get that. There are definitely specific needs for, for people based on where you live. But we're talking uh, about products that are, you know, things that are available to everyone. You know, we're talking, like you said, specific to tobacco. Tobacco is available in every gas station across the country. Uh, there's no there's no area where there's <laughs> there's like a tobacco free Minnesota or something. You know, like it's it's something that's everywhere. So we should have more uniformity to address that. And it's you know these are when we talk about federal when we talk about the role that FDA is supposed to play. These are people who are dedicated to this. This is what they do. the The Center for Tobacco Products isn't reviewing Mountain Dew. They're no. reviewing tobacco products. That's tobacco what products supposed to do. So they're making they they are the ones that are 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 tasked with coming up with this scientific review of these products and making sure that marketing them is appropriate for the protection of public health. And that's at the federal level. That's what we want. We want dedicated experts looking at this issue, not your you know hardware store operator who who ran for office because the potholes weren't getting filled in his neighborhood. And now he's on the city council. Yeah. And now they're on the city council or the state legislature. That person doesn't come from a background of science and, 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 and tobacco products and and so on. They don't actually know what's what the larger discussion about substance use is. Right. Like I don't need the manager of home Depot to tell me whether or not these products would help me quit smoking. Like that's (laughs) that's not what I need. I need experts. to be clear, I'm not saying that all state legislators are, you know, running hardware stores, you know, as their 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 job. Some states that 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 is how it is, uh, and in 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 most places, you you do kind of want the small business owner making well, decisions the at the state level. The you want the yeah, they're the, they're the part of the community. The community. They have they yeah, have their absolutely. finger on the pulse of what Main Street needs, and 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 that's appropriate. But when it comes to you know, these issues, they either need more time and better information in order to make these decisions, or we leave this up to the experts in the room, which as far as the United States has, it's, well, it's people who work at tobacco companies, and it's also with the Center for Tobacco Products. Uh, you know, the, the, the FDA is supposed to be a non-biased, non-political, science and data-driven organization making these decisions, not Matt Myers, not Michael Bloomberg, not Robin yeah. Koval. Agreed. But instead, because they were able to go through the court and force FDA to accept this deadline, it's not being done the way that the Tobacco Control Act requires it to be done. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm going to end up repeating myself. I think we're going to start going in circles here. That's um, OK. We're not going <laughs> to. I think this is a great spot to wrap it up because we could go on and on in those circles. Um, but yeah, I mean, going forward now, we'll just have to see, we'll have to see where these other lawsuits go and, and where this goes from here. Uh, it's just like my favorite thing about tobacco harm reduction in this space is like, Ooh, 
Where do we go? What's going to yeah. happen What's next? next? Nobody knows. <laughs> this, this is this is the uncertainty that that consumers and industry have been living with for more than a decade now. More than a decade, yeah. Um, Just the most I, uncertainty ever. I, you know, I think you know the 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 decision for Triton. Um, you know, the the results of Turning Point Brands. We also have Fumizer now. Uh, there's there's a handful of of uh, uh, motions what was the for one, a stay. Uh, what was the one company you said from? Triton something bunny suicide bunny. told me at one point the the makers of whatever bunny is gonna sue the FDA I would have been like what but is, no here we are here we sit today this is this is I mean I from a like I love like making up band names kind of perspective like I'm really excited to see all of the the the, the the spectrum of vape industry names ending up in official documents uh to me i i it's to, there there is some level of entertainment there and i really appreciate sure. it um and you know at, at some point i think I don't, I don't know how this this works into it but um you know one of the things that i've been thinking a lot about is the names of different strains of, of cannabis uh oh, and man. and why because you know, i only bring this up because somebody made some comment on twitter a while ago, kind of, it, it almost seemed like they were mocking all of the names of, of vape companies. Um, and, and I will say, I, I'm not mocking these names. I think it's, I think it, you know, it is what it is. Um, but sure, you know, the fact that like unicorn, the fact that whatever. unicorn poop is likely to end up in some sort of official legal document, I think is hilarious. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, the whole reason they named it unicorn poop. They know ahead of time. Yeah. They were like, this is going to end up in a yeah. legal document. Someday. <laughs> But yeah, you know, one of the things that that I don't know that people are talking about, but it struck me the other day that you know, in the cannabis side of things, um, there are there are strains of cannabis that are named after actual product, I, you know, IP. So if you have a, a strain of can, I don't know if a Skittles cannabis is out there, uh, or you know, oh, some other sure. you know candy bar or beverage or something like that. Um, you know what? What does that mean when we look at at, at federal regulation? Are, is that are those IP infringement, or is there some argument to be made that well, you know, uh, cannabis was illegal for so many years? What did it matter? What does it matter what you call these products if they're illegal? Sure, I mean, yeah. Uh, you know, are you are you going to hey, go that after of cannabis? Stole my candy name. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> so it, it's kind of funny. And I think a lot of that carried over into the vapor space that you you had people coming from from that world. Uh, and, and you know, kind of what does it matter? I, I name my product. Uh, it, it's, you know, I don't know. Anyway, I, that was just an interesting thing. An interesting aside, completely off topic. <laughs> I just felt like getting it out there. Sometimes uh, you just got to get it out there. Yeah. But I so, think uh, anyway. we are we are at the six o'clock eat the hour here on the uh, the best coast uh, three o'clock over on the that other place that other coast the west coast. Um, so I think this is a good place to wrap it up. I know Alex and I both kind of had a, a six p.m. ish deadline today. So uh, so here we are. Alex, are you good with with wrapping up this week? Is there anything else uh, up in that cranium of yours that you need to to put out into the world? I'm sure it'll shake loose later, but we'll save it for next week. Okay. You'll put it in the show notes. I'll try. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you to everybody who tuned in today. Uh, 
thank you to everybody in chat, your comments and questions. Much appreciated. Um, oh, the spiel. I didn't do it last week. I'm a little rusty. Uh, for everybody out there, uh, podcast listeners, there will be two episodes available, two versions of this episode, not two episodes, a shorthand legislative rundown version just for all the need to know stuff for you. And then obviously the full version will be available as well. You can check that out on SoundCloud or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have not yet joined CASA, please do head over to CASA.org. It is free. You can get the newsletters, stay up to date on all the calls to action, all that good stuff. And while you're there, if you had not submitted a testimony about your, your quit story or how these products have helped you, how smoke-free products have helped you, please submit that testimony, whether it's snooze e-cigarettes, gums, whatever that may be, please submit that story. And um, yeah, right there, testimonials, submit them. Um, Otherwise, that's going to do it for us this week. We will be back next week. To my knowledge, as far as I know, we will all be back next week. Uh, Same time, 4.30 p.m. over here on the best coast, 1.30 p.m. over there on the west coast. That's going to do it for us, you guys. Thank you one last time. Be excellent to each other. Stay safe out there, everybody. We will see you next week. Bye.